0: it's time to take the quiz five questions five minutes a day five days a week
1: take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did play share and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox
0: from the fox news radio studios
2: in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour. But more importantly, I'd like to get your input about what's happening around the country, around the world. We know the president's going to be speaking again about Bidenomics in Colorado. I wish he would give it up. I think his aides wish he would give it up. But he's still talking about it as if it's a good thing. Uh, We also have the uh, Trump trial underway. He's going to be uh, going back for the defense now of his fortune. And his business practices. He's going to be going back on the stand. Eric's going to go back, I think, this week. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. So the non-Trump candidates are very likely just, we're talking about deck chairs, shuff, shuffling them around here. But sometimes New Hampshire and Iowa can break late. Is anyone, in any voter going to pay attention to this endorsement? No, but they do have some resources that will be helpful to Haley. 2024
3: major donor grab for Governor Haley as the long-awaited high-stakes gubernatorial debate between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis could change everything for the winner and the loser. We'll discuss. Number two.
5: Everyone has the right to plead the fifth, but, you know, according to Hunter Biden's attorney today, he wants to come forward, and I think that's great. Give him an opportunity. He's going to have due process. He's going to be able to answer some questions, but this isn't about Hunter Biden. This is an investigation by Congress of Joe Biden.
3: Right. And he wants to get control of the process. Hunter Biden takes on Colmer and demands a public hearing on his hijinks. Why it's right for the GOP to start him behind closed doors the way they did Don Jr. and how it all hurts the president.
0: Number one.
6: I hope that you will see more prisoners released. I hope you will see an extension of this ceasefire. But Israel is not done. Israel is going to destroy Hamas's military capability. I believe they have a moral obligation to do that.
3: I think so, too. That is Senator Chris Murphy. Twelve delivered Tuesday. At least ten more today. And it's back to war in Gaza, but not so fast. Behind the scenes, a push for Israel to pump the brakes. As Iran sends a drone to harass the Eisenhower, USS Eisenhower, not uh, Dwight Eisenhower. And all we do is warn and watch. It's really maddening. I mean, think about this. We have this aircraft carrier, bigger and more lethal than most countries. And we watch a drone come over. We warn it to stop. It doesn't. It turns around. Blow it out of the water. What are we paying you for? Why are we letting our number one enemy or number three enemy get the best of us with the Houthi rebels, with Hezbollah, Hamas rocketing us regularly through their surrogates? It's maddening. So Israel right now is in a pause. And it's great to see these hostage reunions. And you got to do it. But I also worry that there's going to be huge public sentiment and push from this White House not to send them arms, not to let them go for the Hamas jugular. Here's Aaron Cohen last night. He's the Israeli special operations veteran.
7: Hamas was begging for a ceasefire. Israel had deployed or uh, deployed what's called a Sir Lachatz in Hebrew. That's a pressure cooker campaign. Israel brilliantly rolled it out over a period of a month, killing thousands of Hamas terrorists with extreme selectivity. Uh, using their JTAC unit. Uh, they can call off a missile mid flight if they see a kid running across the street. But the fact is is that Hamas's psychological warfare has dictated and found its way into the Oval Office and gotten into the head of President Biden who's gotten Israel a bad deal. Now let me say this. Israel wants its hostages back. They're gonna do anything to get them back. But Israel was on its way to finding out and figuring out exactly where those hostages were but the fact is is that right now Israel's in a bad deal. And what I mean by that is those hostages and this deal is in control of who? Hamas. And that's a big no-no in counterterrorism. And This is going to be hostage bonanza. What do they do in Russia?
3: Hostages. What do we need? We give up the number one weapons manufacturers, Victor Boot. We get back a basketball player. You know, obviously we want Brittany Griner back, but we left a the Marine there, and now they took Evan Gershewitz of the Wall Street Journal, and they've got to keep him there at least until January 30th before they give him another trial. And if you're going to pay billions of dollars to get hostages out of Iran, why don't you think they're going to get other hostages through their surrogates? If Hamas is going to get, uh, get three prisoners back for every hostage, why don't you think Hamas is going to take more? At one point, someone's going to stand up and just say, we're taking you out. You die unless you give up everybody. So the U.S. is telling Israel any ground campaign in southern Gaza must limit further civilian displacement. And I'm hearing reports that they were told, I don't care what Hezbollah does, you better not go after them or else you might find your procurement of weapons curtailed from the secretary of defense. How crazy is that? And more in that Iranian story. The Iranian drone flew so close to the USS now in the Persian Gulf, uh, they let it live. The drone allegedly flew right near the carrier. The ship was in international waters. The Iranian drone reportedly ignored multiple warnings. Uh, The U.S. military is considering the incident unsafe and unprofessional. Yes. Wow. Talk about getting under their skin. You don't want to call Iranian drone operators unprofessional. Man, there's no coming back from that. Wow, do we mean business? It's a joke. So from what we see right now, I like what the president said openly. He's watching the base, his young supporters, Democrats, including some of his staffers upset with his policy. You know, what my worry is he's going to start to waver and wobble because he always does. You know, you why? I want out of Afghanistan. Well, it's not going to be good, sir. It doesn't matter. I want out. Oh, well, nobody ever told me it was going to go this bad. No, everybody told you it was going to be that bad, but you got to pass. So you continue to do this. So what's at stake? What's going to happen in the House? Now, right now, the the Senate and House has got to agree on an aid package for Taiwan, for uh, Ukraine, for Israel. And the Republicans say not a chance without border asylum changes and money for the border, for enforcement, not for soft-sided tents and accommodations and laundry service. Here's Axios political reporter last night on Special Report, Steph Knight. Cuss 6.
1: We're certainly hearing a lot of different opinions on that question right now, even within the Democratic Party. We're obviously seeing increasingly Democrats express frustration for the way the president has been handling this issue and wanting to see Biden continue to put even more pressure on Israel to limit the civilian casualties that we've been seeing of Palestinians in Gaza. And of course, we're hearing from some Democrats who who think that there should be conditions, that mm-hmm. it's only fair. We've done it before and we can do that again and that it's important to you know limit the civilian casualties. But that's not something that every Democrat is even agreeing on right now. And there are some who are saying, no, you know, we need to allow Israel to do what it needs to do. So so it's very interesting to see how this is playing out and whether we'll see Biden kind of
4: take a stance on this.
3: So what they were talking about with conditions, people like Bernie Sanders said, I don't want any civilians hurt, so if you hurt civilians going to take your weapons away, they want conditions on this. You're not going to use it for X, you're not going to use it for Y. No one can run a military campaign like that. Nobody. So you're looking to hamstring Bernie Sanders, the Iran the Israeli armed forces, let them do their job. Watch the video of the horror they inflicted. Forget about the idiotic protesters that now pro- promised to disrupt 30 Rockefeller Plaza's Christmas tree lighting in New York City. Forget about Harvard and Yale and Columbia. Forget about what happened to the Manhattan Bridge on Sunday. These people have to educate themselves. We can't dumb it down so these uh, idiots can understand how ridiculous their stance is. So we'll see. I mean, we're going to get a list of hostages. Now, the Israelis have said, you give me 10 a day, I'll pause it that day. So now they're in a 48-hour pause. This is the 48th hour. Are they going to give up another 10? And what about the 9-month-old? Oh, the 9-month-old? We got rid of him. And the 4-month, the 4-year-old brother, they're in the hands of another militia group. How horrific is that? Somebody maybe worse and more raw? and inhumane than Hamas? Or are they saying that to for a cause a further delay, to say, let me try to find out where they are, give me a couple of days to find out? Public sentiment is like, of course you can't attack and risk the life of a nine-month-old. We see their tactics, and sadly it's playing out. Hunter Biden, let's talk about this. Out of nowhere, he's been extremely aggressive. He's going to sue William Barr. He's going to sue Donald Trump. He's going to sue Rudy Giuliani. He's going to sue the... Uh, the laptop or uh, the laptop repairman. Yeah. Do you remember the laptop that didn't belong to him? He's suing that guy. Okay. So he's getting on the offensive. That's what this is. Abby Lowell decides you want to subpoena Hunter Biden, my client. We're going to come front and center without a subpoena. We'll offer our services. But the reason you don't want that is because five minutes on, five minutes with Democrats kissing his butt, five minutes on, five minutes out, he could win over public sentiment when, believe it or not, He is not the center of this investigation. It's about what Joe did or didn't do. Hunter was the elixir. He was the he was the accelerator. He was the man who set everything up. We don't know the service the Biden's provided. We don't where the money is. We don't know why they picked Kazakhstan, Ukraine. We don't know why they picked China, except for that's where the money is. And those are the deals that could be cut. And that's the influence their dad had. So we'll see. Guess who's upset about this offer to go front and center? about the offensive, about the people I just mentioned and more. The White House, they are not being briefed on this. Every time Hunter comes out, they get questions about it, not just from Fox. Here's James Comer on why he will reject the in front of cameras initially offer from Hunter Biden. Cut 10.
5: This is a normal subpoena. This is a normal congressional subpoena. Uh, It's a lawful subpoena. Uh, We have asked him to come in on December 13th. His attorney said today that he would gladly come in, uh, but only for a public hearing. He'll have a public hearing. After we do the deposition, this is the way credible investigations are conducted. And Hunter Hunter Biden is not above the law just because he's gotten away with uh, criminal activity by the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS, the National Archives doesn't mean he's going to be treated that way by the House Oversight Committee. Uh, We are going to abide by the law. Jamie Raskins, the, the ranking member on the House Oversight Committee, did this exact same process
2: yeah, uh,
3: that's where you do it. And, you know, he wanted to make sure, listen, Abby Lowell's trying to get on the offensive, but you could see them trying to put together a sympathetic story for Hunter Biden. I watched the Amy Robach interview on ABC when Hunter was doing his book tour. i watched Jimmy Kimmel and others. He doesn't have a lot of answers, but it'll be heavily rehearsed. He's a lawyer, and he's going to say, my mom died when I was young. My brother died of bone, uh, a brain cancer. True, sad stories. I had an addiction. You can relate to that. One out of every 10 Americans deals with addiction. One out of every three has one of somebody close to them or in their family. So I'm not happy about things I did, but my dad isn't implicated. And then people, the Democrats will bring out that side of him. Tell me what it was like in recovery. And what did you discover about yourself? And then five minutes with with the rapid fire of Jim Jordan and James Comer, they'll look like they're beating up an addict. When the real question is, why was this money flowing in? Why were checks rolling to your dad? Why was it running growing to your daughter? What exactly was the services that you gave? Why did you use these hidden bank accounts? Why did you use pseudonym emails? Why did your dad do that? Why did your dad show up at um, uh, business meetings and only talk about the weather? We don't believe that. And why did your dad, why did you go with your dad to China and then take off the other direction for a business deal? Why were you CC'd on a lot of this Ukrainian activity? What is does what the son of a vice president need to know what's going on in Ukraine? So those are the questions you need answered. but You're probably going to get it behind closed doors like you dealt with the whistleblowers. The whistleblowers came forward. They said, OK, get some Democrats. We're going to go behind closed doors. Let's see if this is credible. It was unbelievably credible. Everything lined up. It blew the whole lid off this thing. And by the way, Hunter Biden's facing tax charges and gun charges. So he's got political risks too. And I just thought this was interesting. Because for the first time, I'm seeing Democrats come out against Hunter. Jerry Nadler called the first son a disturbed man and may have very well done improper things. Jamie Raskin, who just mocks James Comer, says this to ABC Hunter did a lot of really unlawful and wrong things. Intentionally or not, they're betting on the political expediency of sacrificing Hunter, says Hunter's friend. They say throw Hunter under the bus, make him seem like the bad guy, his dad's caring. So, therefore, not exonerating, but standing by him. He's been through a lot, and he's 81. The Republicans aren't going to step aside for that. One the advantage they have, now, six out of every ten thinks the president, the current president was up to no good One did illegal business activities, uh, when it comes to his private life, and as vice president. I don't think he's doing it now. I don't think he'd be that crazy. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. I want to get to Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour with politics. I'll get your take in just a moment. 1 408 7669. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move.
2: Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at Show.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: Gabby Lowell has offered to testify, but publicly. Does the White House support that? Will White House counsel advise him? And should a wit get to negotiate under those terms on how, how they should be able to testify?
0: House Republicans should should really focus on American families instead of the president's family.
3: Uh, well, that's interesting. Uh, they should actually not do an investigation into the president's family. How about the former president's family? Former president's family has a family business and they're investigated. I'm sure politics is prevailing over there with the attorney general and the New York governor, everybody else going after him. That is pure political attack job. This is a longstanding denial of international political activity that could compromise a current sitting president of the United States, as opposed to somebody with a great business who has no debt, who has nobody uh, pursuing him legally, insurers, real estate agents, tenants, and golfers, membership disputes. I don't even know anything except for you have an attorney general that just says, I think you lied about how much your property is worth. What a joke that is predominantly a joke. So if you're going to go after Hunter Biden, him coming forward makes me think two things. There's a strategy. Everybody says Abby Lowell's great. I assume he's great. I mean, everybody says he's great. So let's just say he's great. He is not deconflicting with the White House. The White House says we don't want this in the headlines. If anything else, at least tell us what you're doing. They're evidently doing it anyway. Number one. Number two. Where's he getting this money? I mean, he couldn't. He was pleading poverty. Someone was flying him in for his custody, uh, for his custody hearings for his illegitimate child which they used to deny until the backlash was so great, Maureen Dowd and company, that they had to admit that he had a child and that the president had another granddaughter, uh, thanks to Hunter Biden's exploits and hijinks. Who's paying this? Who's paying the top attorney? The top attorney in Washington.
0: This guy has no job. Bad painter. And we don't know where the money is. So, I think they're
3: right not to go front and center and let Hunter Biden testify. Number one, you've worked too hard to research this, find out about all the shell companies, find out about all the bank accounts. The banks are cooperating. You're finding about tens of $20,000 worth of checks, and you're about to find out more. You don't want to blow it up by somebody giving an emotionally uh, tor- uh, story about his addiction, and people are going, Yeah, I relate to that. Here's Matt Whitaker, real quick, Cup 15.
2: Abby Lowell knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that the the weakest part of this case is if his client has to sit down for directed Questioning from a counsel of the majority that can ask a line of questions and not be interrupted every five minutes by the rules of the committee, if it was public. And so, this is just one part of their defense. Obviously, they're still facing uh, potential tax charges in California. There are the gun charges pending, and you know it's going to be very interesting uh, as I look at this whole thing. Is you know, uh, Chairman. Comer mentioned Steve Bannon and that reminds me of Peter Navarro as well who were held in contempt
3: and you will see Uh, they both were, but these guys are going to testify, I think and we'll just get to the facts the facts aren't going to be kind and they're not going to be kind to the president either
2: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: So if it comes down to Trump and Biden,
0: which it most likely will, you're going to vote for Trump then? I am a Republican. Okay, so you will vote for Trump. Okay. It's not going to be Trump and Biden, I'm telling you. so you so think here's it will one be another here.
2: Republican and Biden?
0: So I will say this, and, and I mean this quite sincerely. The party yeah. that chooses to move on from Trump or Biden first wins. If the Democrats choose before the Republicans to move on, from Biden, before the Republicans choose to move on from Trump, Democrats will win. America is just looking for something new, so a new generation, enough of this old, old school crap. We need to move forward. And so any new candidate on either side is going to win this, this election.
3: That's Governor Sununu, who shocked many people by saying, I'll still vote for Trump. Because yeah, I'm a Republican. And he liked a lot of his policies. He didn't like the drama, doesn't like January 6th. Join the club. Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Rich joins us now. Rich, your thoughts about Governor, Governor Sununu, did that even surprise you that he's not a, he's not a never-Trumper? Mm-hmm. He just prefers somebody
0: else.
9: Yeah, well, that's, that's, that would be exactly the calculation that many Republicans make who aren't enamored with Donald Trump. I think he's right that if one of the parties did something else, they would have a huge advantage. Now, I think Trump can beat Biden, obviously. I mean, if the election were held today, Trump would beat Biden, but he's a risky choice. And Biden is obviously just Pathetic. I mean, just totally pathetic in all all realms. So if they, you know, if they had, uh, I mean, it would never happen. But if they had some some nice guy like Mark Warner from Virginia, inof- inoffensive, kind of moderate, you know, they they'd be in the catbird seat. But it doesn't seem as though that's going to happen on either side of the ball.
3: Well, what do you think it's going to be at this point? People are going to say, okay, uh, he's pro-Israel. Now he's pushing Israel to ease off and possibly ex- uh, accept our arms with some limitations. He's losing some of his base and I think doing the right thing and backing them, but then he's losing his fervent Israel supporters by equivocating again, like he does in Ukraine.
9: Yeah, so it's proved a real wedge issue for the Democrats. I think. Uh, you know, you got this generational divide on top of everything else, where the, the young people are just—they don't like Israel. I mean, they don't like the West. They don't like Western civilization, and and the, those kids are are all on uh, his side of the aisle. I think he has to kind of count on—you know—that this war is not going to last another. We hope, you know, another year so th- so this will fade. Um, but he still has, you know, fundamental problems. I mean, he's losing on every issue to Trump except for abortion. And then you have this age thing, which is coloring everything and is not going to get any better. I mean, three-quarters of people think he's not fit to serve. So they think they can make Trump unacceptable, but they they got to make him pretty unacceptable to, to convince people to vote for someone that they don't think can do the job, literally.
3: So how much does it matter that the Koch brothers are going to – excuse me uh, – The Koch family now is going to be writing a big check uh, to Governor Nikki Haley and could be Ken Longone next week, worth I think uh, billions of dollars. Does this stuff matter, being that there's still 30, 40 points between uh, Haley and Trump?
9: Yeah, it's not not as though it's, um, you know, it throws the race to Nikki Haley by any means. It's meaningful. In terms of the the Haley DeSantis race, you know, for for distant second uh, last winter and earlier this year, the assumption was the Koch folks would would eventually swing around to DeSantis. They didn't, based on concerns over his performance. And one thing, Brian, that is underappreciated about this race, this is a low dollar presidential race. You know, Trump raises a lot of money, but a lot of it goes to his legal bills. DeSantis doesn't have as much money as he thought he would. So the the Koch network is going to throw what I hear, you know, eight Eight ten million $10 million in advertising and persuasion efforts, that's meaningful. You know, that, that helps Nikki, and there'll be a field operation thrown behind her. So the scenario for her, you know, it's, it's, all, it's, it's very unlikely for either of them, obviously DeSantis or, or Haley at this point. But the scenario for her, I don't think she can win Iowa, but finish second, you know, surprising strong second in Iowa, and then get a surge in New Hampshire and make it competitive and maybe trip Trump up in, in New Hampshire. I think that's plausible. That could happen. But then I, I just don't know where she goes from there. Tr- Trump will crush in Nevada, obviously. And then is she really going to beat him in South Carolina? I mean, that's that's very hard to see.
3: It's just so, I mean, it's hard, to, even though some teams look great in spring training and they look overwhelming with the roster and their salary cap, you, until you play a game, yeah. you don't yep. know. Well, you don't know what's going to happen in Iowa. Do you think yep. you could look at Ted Cruz, who won it in single digits at this point, and others that have won it, and <laughs> came out of the pack to do it? Yep. Uh, And learn something from that? I mean, everyone should be a little bit humble before they give it to Trump?
9: Yeah, I mean there there can be late surges and Santorum's a great example. At this point in the race, he was single digits. I mean, two and three percent, low single digits. And then it wasn't until I believe like December 18th that there's a poll that showed him in double digits, and then then he rose from there and uh, barely outpaced um, Mitt Romney. I think he got about 24 percent or something. But that was a very fluid race. Romney was the front runner at some point. Rick Perry was the front runner at one point. Newt Gingrich was the front runner at one point. Whereas this race has been kind of steady state. Trump uh, crushing nationally and then in a very strong position, less strong, but in a very strong position in Iowa and New Hampshire. So can something happen in Iowa or New Hampshire? Could Trump lose in one of those states? Yeah, I think there's, there's a chance of that. But we just can't underestimate how dominant – he's as dominant mm-hmm. as, as – uh, I, I don't think anyone's been more, more dominant in a, uh, a non-incumbent presidential nomination contest in our lifetimes.
3: So I want you to hear uh, more from Sununu. He does not think Biden's going to be there in the end. Cut 18.
0: Right now, it's it's li- more likely than not that Trump's a nominee, right? But it isn't an absolute. It's really not. It's definitely more likely than not that Biden is not on that ticket.
1: Wait, why why is that?
0: Why Biden isn't going to be on the ticket? Yeah. Are you kidding? Um, there first, Biden is so has become so bad that even Trump can beat him in November.
3: Not only can Trump beat him, but Nikki Haley beats him by about 11 between yeah. 7 and 11. Trump beats him by about two, three. And DeSantis sometimes beats him two or three. Uh, so, and so, uh, by the way, the last poll, and I forgot which poll it was, Trump beats Newsom, too.
9: Yeah. So I think with Biden, I, I don't believe in kind of the switching amount scenario. I mean, they, if. For some reason, Republicans nominated Nikki Haley. I think it'd be tempting, but I think it's really hard. You know, and, and ultimately, if, if he doesn't want to go, if he doesn't want to step down, and this is something he's thirsted after, this office he holds now for you know uh, half a century, there's no way to make him go. So I, I think the thing that would keep him from being the nominee is some. You know, and I I hope it doesn't happen. We've talked about this before. Some terrible. Ter- terrible health events, some terrible fall, which could, unfortunately, you know, happen uh, I- any day. I mean, it's kind of a ticking, mm-hmm. a ticking time bomb. But assuming he's still uh, upright, I mm-hmm. think he's, he's the nominee, and, and the Democrats just got to hope for the best. But it's enormous risk for their party, enormous risk for the country.
3: So I want to bring you to Mark Fisher. You probably don't know mm-hmm. him. He's a BLM, uh, founder of BLM Incorporated. He has the Rhode Island division. He's African-American. He was on with us yesterday. He's going to be on with us later in the show radio, but he was on TV with us yesterday. And we're seeing the numbers creep up for them, for Republicans, Donald Trump and specifically when it comes to African-American voters. Here's what he said. Cut 23.
10: I think personally, it's the duplicity of the Democrats. Mm. The hypocrisy. Um, We're not stupid. The brothers are not stupid. We, We understand when someone's for us and when someone is not. And it's obvious that the Democratic Party is not for us.
3: So I thought that was significant, but he went on from there, cut 24.
10: I just think that it's going to take information. A lot of people are misinformed. They don't really understand because they don't educate themselves on on Donald Trump as a person and his history. Um, But if they do that, and it's going to take, you know, leaders, educated leaders getting the word out there. um, I think that it'll happen on its own and it'll be organic because um, personally, I love the man. I mean, how could you not like a real man? How could you not relate to someone like that?
3: So I was sitting there, and then we asked you still in B. He goes, "Yeah, I'm still running the BLM chapter." <laughs> so, <laughs> your thoughts?
9: Yeah, so I thought that the last thing was was interesting, and it culturally for for some of this. You know, his his appeal. Trump's not making inroads among black women; it's black men. And and he said, you know, how, how's a real how's a real as a real man? Would wouldn't you like Donald Trump? So I think that kind of that machismo, that kind of strength, is appealing. Um, to to all males, including black males. And uh, if the Republican Party has more working-class appeal, you know, there are a lot of working-class whites, but there, there are also a lot of working-class Latinos and blacks. So They should be making inroads there as well. We're beginning to see some of that. And I think the key thing, Brian, is to treat this as a persuadable constituency like anything else. Like, you want to win Pennsylvania, don't mm-hmm. just go to the rural areas and have massive rallies and turn out the vote there. I mean, you need to do that. Run ads on black radio and for- Philadelphia, making the case. Now, are you going to get, you know, 40 percent of the black vote in Philadelphia? No. But if you go from from five to eight or whatever it is in a close race, that that could be meaningful.
3: So the other thing's happening tomorrow night. It's going to be Ron DeSantis against Governor Gavin Newsom. I cannot wait for this. It'll be 90 minutes. Sean Hannity says he's going to be fair. You're going to have no idea who he would vote for. It's on Fox and he's a host. But still, he, him and Gavin Newsom have been in constant contact. What's at stake here? And who has, there's just, people have said huge upside, huge downside. I see a huge upside for DeSantis here. And for Newsom, if he ends up prevailing somehow with the weak hand he has, which is his track record, that yeah. would catapult him.
9: Yeah, so DeSantis, I mean, it's just the the, the opportunity is to have a big national audience for the, these, these candidates, except for Trump, you know, who can basically snap his fingers and, and get attention. It, they're, they're dwindling, you know, with weeks left until people start to caucus and vote. So it's a big deal to have something that, you know, we're talking about that a lot of people are going to watch. Um, you know, I expect DeSantis to be um, very uh, credible and, and well-informed. The thing is, you know, he's never in any of these – the Republican debates had like an electric performance or a moment like, wow. So uh, if you could possibly pull one of those off, uh, that would be uh, good for him. You know, Newsom, it's just this constant audition, you know, just kind of lingering around, you know, saying I- I'm totally in favor of Biden. But if something happens to Biden, here I am. And this is this is another uh, uh, episode in that for him.
3: Yeah, I, I guess we'll see where it goes. I think for 90 minutes you have homelessness, you got the uh, drilling, mm-hmm. you have uh, taxes, you have crime, you have policies. You'll, you'll call him a book banner, DeSantis, he's got to battle yeah. back, taking on corporations as opposed to letting corporations run you. When you see more people leaving California than coming, Gavin Newsom's own parents uh, are watch our channel and move to Florida. So, I mean, this, there's, some, there's some stuff out there. Will you be watching?
9: Yeah. um, You know, actually, I think I'm going to be at an event. But if I weren't at an event, I would be – Watching and this is just a great outside of the politics and you know who might help or hurt or whatever. It's just a great thing, you know. America needs more debate. These are two governors who who are um, you know pretty pure representatives of red and blue America and di- different attitudes toward the the role of government and how the economy works. So yeah, this is this is a fantastic thing and I think it's a it's a, it's a great coup that uh, Sean and Fox have pulled off here to put it together.
3: Yeah, I think it's I think it'll be great uh, and I think we more of It could happen when you have a promising governor, maybe not running for president and promising senator uh, up and coming. Why not debate them? See what they got in an unscripted live situation. See what speeches are. Here's my problem, Rich, and I've not seen it successfully done. So let's say I'm Gavin Newsom and I show up. Homelessness is not a problem. We're on top of it. Uh, Well, not really. Well, yeah, we have a program, $300 million. Nobody's put more money into homelessness than ever before, and we're beginning to see major improvements. If I'm DeSantis, I need a shot at saying that, but I can't just say you're wrong. Mm-hmm. i got to be prepared to tell them where the stats are. Right. Or is that the moderator say, Governor, I just have to tell you, according to the numbers, you're not going down with homelessness. The homelessness is going up. It's spreading out to beautiful places like San Diego. So at what point does the moderator say when people just make things up, like 51 intel agents said there's no way this could be Hunter Biden's laptop and it's Russian disinformation –
9: yeah, that, you know, I think it's it's tricky for any moderator, it's, it's especially gonna be tricky for Sean to to, to correct Newsom unless he's gonna correct uh, DeSantis or you know push back against DeSantis or, or push him hard as well. So I don't know. I, I guess I'd kind of expect a hands off hands off approach and, and let the combatants litigate that stuff.
3: Right. Uh, you're not gonna say, okay, why did the moderator say anything? It's really up to these guys to do their homework for uh, Ron DeSantis. Is this, if he is strong and wipes the floor with him, could this catapult his candidacy?
9: Uh, it, it could help. You know, what he needs to do is just get off the dime. You know, he, he's he's <clears throat> declined or stagnated everywhere, more stagnate. Now in in Iowa, where he's been basically in the high teens, he needs to to show momentum, show some pickup, and then make the case. Hey, look, you know, I know some people like Nikki Haley here in Iowa, but I, I'm I'm the only vehicle if you if you want an alternative to Trump, if you want Trump's policies without um, the the personal baggage. Go with me, and you know, and, and that, that could potentially work, but it needs it's not working without you know some sort of pickup in the in the polling. And the risk is, you know, there's been kind of this this Haley boomlet, at least among um, donors. And if she she begins to to separate from DeSantis in Iowa, that's a that's a debacle. For I her. mean, I
3: think she, people are on her for why didn't she attack Trump? Why would she? Because there's too mm-hmm. much risk of alienating the Trump voter. Right. She thinks her best chance is to clear the field. So I don't yeah. mind those tactics. So do you?
9: No. I mean, and they both done a version of it. it. It's sort of DeSantis has been sort of the inside-out strategy. I'm going to start kind of in the center of – the party, not center ideologically, because he's he's run as very conservative, but the center in terms of uh, the the maga ish um, element of the party that that's at least open to an alternative to Trump. Whereas Nikki is like, I'm going to do an outside-in strategy. I'm going to start with the people who are just not not MAGA, you know, 20 25 percent of the party or whatever. Consolidate that, and then hope by showing momentum that I can get a second look from the MAGA-ish voters that that might not uh, like me. I I don't, you know I but I've I've been. More of sympathetic to DeSantis's theory, I thought that would uh, made more sense. But um, so far, you know, it's better to rise than to fall, and she's been rising, and he hasn't.
3: Right. Interesting, Rich Larry. Thanks so much, Rich Larry, hey, thanks, the National Bryce. Review. Go Enjoy pick it. up his magazine. All right. When we come back, my time to pick up with you. it's on your mind? Uh, also, when we come back, I'm going to expand on this uh, governor governor debate. I just think it's such a big deal. I, I cannot wait for it. I love a one on one as well. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You would do a two-hour debate
3: with Ronda. I make it three. Three-hour um, debate. With yeah, people. make it four. Do it with one day notice with no notes. So I look forward to that.
7: Gavin, make the offer. Your answer is absolutely. I'm game. Let's get it done. Just tell me when and where. We'll do it. Biden may not even be the nominee. You could have Gavin Newsom if we go down that direction. That's going to accelerate American decline.
3: You could have Gavin Newsom, but I think there'll be some type of runoff. Does anyone else have ambition? I don't think they would clear the field for Gavin Newsom. I think Governor Whitman would step up. These politically correct Democrats won't ever pick the best person. They'll just pick the one who checks the most boxes. So you got to be gay, you got to be transsexual, you got to have a limp, a bad pinky, something. You can't just be a white guy. That's the problem. Or you got to pick somebody uh, that would check boxes like Kamala Harris. See where that got you. You you go and check boxes, President Biden. You try to get staffers there that are diverse. Okay, what about people that are loyal to you? They're asking for emergency meetings because they don't agree with your foreign policy in the White House. So this debate is going to be fantastic. It's going to be 9 o'clock Eastern time. It's going to go for an hour and a half, moderated by Sean Hannity. And I just do think huge upside, huge downside. If Ron DeSantis doesn't look great, it's a huge downside. If he just is in a very... Uh, brisk debate with someone who disagrees with him on so much. It's a great opportunity. It's very hard to debate someone who you agree with 80% of the time. You want Donald Trump's job, but you probably agree with 85 to 88% of what he's done. Same thing with Nikki Haley. You kind of friends with her. What are you going to say when Christie makes sense? But Gavin Newsom, you are diametrically opposed to everything he's done, and he's convinced he's right. This is a, a great opportunity for DeSantis.
2: top Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, We've come to you from 48th and 6th in midtown Manhattan, where uh, New York's own Senator Chuck Schumer, normally just blatant partisanism, not that I disrespect him. I know he's a powerful guy, understands politics. I really respect what he's doing right now. He's finally giving a major speech on anti-Semitism. Finally. I mean, as a Jewish leader in Congress with a lot of power and, man, a lot of influence. About time. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying about time. Mike Rogers is standing by. He wants to be the next senator for Michigan. Mark Fisher, co-founder of Black Lives Matter Rhode Island at the bottom of the hour. Uh, And also, I hope everyone um, uh, picks up... Teddy and Booker T got a big signing tonight in New Jersey, just look it up on bryankilme.com. Also be at the Bush Library on Saturday and Harker Heights right before that. All right, so let's get to the big 3.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. So the non-Trump candidates are very likely just, we're talking about deck chairs, shuff, shuffling them around here. But sometimes New Hampshire and Iowa can break late. Is anyone, in any voter going to pay attention to this endorsement? No. But they do have some resources that will be helpful to Haley. That is
3: Rich Lowry, 2024 major donor grab for Governor Haley's. The long-awaited high-stakes gubernatorial debate between Newsom and DeSantis. Could change everything for the winner and really for the loser, too. Let's discuss it. Number two.
5: Everyone has the right to plead the fifth. But, you know, according to Hunter Biden's attorney today, he wants to come forward. And I think that's great. Give him an opportunity. He's going to have due process. He's going to be able to answer some questions. But this isn't about Hunter Biden. This is an investigation by Congress of Joe
3: Biden. That is James Comer trying to get recontrol control of the Oversight Committee because Hunter Biden's Attorneys want him and are demanding he have a public hearing on all of his hijinks. Why it's right for the GOP to make him go behind closed doors and how all of this hurts President Biden.
0: Number one,
6: I hope that you will see more prisoners released. I hope you will see an extension of this ceasefire. But Israel is not done. Israel is going to destroy Hamas's military capability. I believe they have a moral obligation to do that.
3: That is true. And that is Senator Chris Murphy. And he was weighing in about the 12 hostages that were delivered on Tuesday and 10 more today. And then it's back to war in Gaza. But not so fast. Behind the scenes, a push. A push for Israel to pump the brakes as Iran sends a drone to harass the USS Eisenhower. And that drone lives to see another day. How do you explain that? I'll give you some highlights of Schumer's speech and his remarks shortly. But I want to bring on Mike Rogers now. Uh, he, uh, Mike is a triple threat. Not only does he know Congress, he also knows the intelligence business, also a veteran. So he understands war and he understands what it takes to get to peace. Uh, Congressman Rogers, welcome back.
11: Brian, it's always good to be back. Thank you for having me.
3: It's a real tough situation. And when you were on the uh, Select Committee, Intelligence Select Committee, you would have been in the middle of this. What do you do? There's all pressure within the president's political party to force some type of limits on the arms we're giving Israel because they say they're not being careful enough at war after that massacre on the 7th. At the same time, you want to get hostages out while trying to underline a pause. How do you handle this? What advice would
0: you give?
11: Well, first of all, one of the reasons I think you got to educate the people who are internal to these decisions first, all the external folks are they're going to be there, seeking out their, their, you know, their corner of their beliefs, uh, and all of that. I suppose is important, but the people who have to make these decisions need to understand a couple of things. When you go through delays, that means you're trading. And, and I want every single hostage back. I don't think that they should take 10 days or 50 days or 100 days to release a baby, or a nine-year-old girl, uh, or an 84-year-old woman. I mean, this we there there is no moral equivalent. To what they are doing, and we need to understand that they're, they're all. The world is walking in, trying to say this is all a moral equivalent, and and the terrorists are underdogs, and we should be for them. That that just can't be the case. And what you have to do, and that decision is okay. Well, part of the reason they're negotiating is because they have, they the uh, Israeli Defense Force has been taking out Hamas Hamas commanders, and by the way, they're trying to find those tunnels that go under hospitals and schools and mosques, you know, everything they said they weren't doing. Well, apparently they are. Uh, And so what you have to do is give uh, Israel enough room to do what it needs to do, and that they do have the moral authority to try to dismantle Hamas to the best of their ability. Uh, And if you can get some hostages back, I think that's really, really key. But what you can't do is have the administration negotiating not in the interests of a – Eliminating Hamas and B, getting the hostages out. Again, they're not mutually exclusive. The reason that they're negotiating is because the noose is tightening around their neck. And I'm talking about the Hamas terrorists. You need to keep that noose and you need to keep tightening that noose uh, to get those hostages back. And if you notice they're giving folks that the, the Hamas terrorists are having a hard time keeping track of, keeping alive, keeping healthy. Uh they're trying to get rid of them. Uh so these are people ripped out of their homes, children whose families were killed right in front of them. They're trying to get those out so that they can gather up what's left to be human shields, which is which will be likely the the men uh, that they that they still have. If you notice not a lot of uh you know, twenty plus men 20 age-plus men coming out of those tunnels.
3: Right, and uh, in exchange, every one hostage we get out, we have to uh, – Israel gets out. We have to give up three prisoners, uh, three people who have been convicted of crimes. So it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 yet and by the way, who
11: have attacked, who have attacked uh, Israeli soldiers and police officers – I mean, some, again, it's really bad when I see this moral equivalent made between people who – listen, if we had somebody attack a police officer, damn right they should be in jail. Well, that's no different in Israel, uh, and it's no different if they attack uh, their soldiers like they would attack our soldiers here in, in the United States. They need to go to jail. That's what was happening. That's what they're, ask, they're asking for those people back. Remember, these hostages did absolutely nothing. These were innocent civilians ripped out of their beds in the middle of the night.
3: So you know that Hamas wanted this. You know by taking hostages, they're saying, come get him. So you know that Iran wanted this. So maybe they cal- they didn't calculate this type of comprehensive effort and total destruction and and the unearthing of these tunnels around mosques and hospitals. But does it bother you at all, being that you're an intelligence uh, you know, professional, that we're playing into Hamas's hands, even though I personally would support and most would support uh, retribution and eradicating the Gaza Strip to Hamas, if you're trying to think ahead and play this out tactically, are we doing exactly what they want?
11: Well, I think what they want is this. The, they, uh, they believe that they, and remember, there has been a disinformation campaign about Israel from Iran for years. Uh, and we know there was a massive disinformation campaign on social media leading up to the attack remember that the the uh, Hamas was not they were going to turn a leaf they weren't going to use violence we're going to use uh, you know the opportunity that Israel was giving Gazans
3: disinformation. to undermine Israel
11: and earn yeah. money yeah it was all disinformation and so that's what candidly i think was a was a leading contributor to 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 the Israeli Mossad and uh, uh, and Shinbet getting it wrong is all that disinformation. That disinformation is still out there. I think the longer this goes with ten here, and 10, so they get the the generation of the media cycle of see, aren't we great? We just released ten people who were ripped out of their beds. Uh, isn't that great? The, you know the Hamas terrorists. They must be good guys. And that's where I worry that we're losing the PR narrative, where people need to understand that, yes, you're right, this is part of their narrative. They're trying to continue to shape this narrative that they're the good guys, Israel's the right. bad guys. And that's what I worry about. And, and candidly, I talked to some folks uh, in Israel And we're close to the the intelligence services there. One of their biggest concerns up front was that they would lose that public narrative because of the work that they had to do to dismantle a group that purposely and admittedly uses human beings as shields for their operations, which, by the way, is a war crime.
3: So get this. I mean, I'm already seeing some Republicans saying, you know, I'm for Ukraine, but I can't bring it up because my district is not for action in Ukraine. How soon, Congressman Rogers, to to you running for office as a Republican or a Democrat, and you know, I can't really talk about my support for Israel because my, you know, half my district doesn't really support Israel. You know, they're they're part of the protesters stopping the Manhattan Bridge. The protesters are going to interrupt the Christmas tree lighting tonight. I mean, you know politics and you know what's right and wrong. Can you see this happening?
11: I can, and you know the problem is we've let the moral clarity of what happened slip. When you have, and I blame the administration for this. Listen, the Qataris are, and the Egyptians are doing the negotiation, and they say, "Well, we're in the background," which means they're not really in the negotiation. Um, and I, again, I think that what the pressure they're putting on is not. Is not the Qataris, the Egyptians, Hamas, or Iran. They're putting it on Israel because that's the only leverage they believe they have, and I'm talking about the Biden administration. I think that they are adding to our problems here. They're not helping. Listen, it's always good when a prisoner uh, or a hostage, excuse me, comes comes home. That's That's a great day. But you have to understand all that happens. And the longer this goes and the more that Hamas gets to repair itself and recuperate, you have there will likely be more dead israeli soldiers again there's a trade-off for everything there's a consequence to all of this and i do believe that that is working against members having having uh the ability and you know listen this is hard some of this stuff's hard to explain but i think i do believe you have to go home because those members of congress get more information than the people do at home they got to go home explain the information that they have and why they came to this conclusion and that's hard, and it's not fun, and you're going to get people angry uh, about it. But you have to uh, – as long as you understand the facts and can articulate the facts, I think voters will reward you even if mm-hmm. they disagree with you on that particular issue. Yeah, but I hope uh, – yeah. We,
3: and you're in the process if, now of trying to win over a purple state. And uh, yeah. if you could be – Mike Rogers, you could be the most conservative person in the world, but do you want to win? And if you want to reflect your state along with your values, it's, it's a common – well, uh, it's the common wrestling match that politicians have. Now, for you, we did a we did a five seats likely to flip on uh, Fox and Friends. I said, check out Michigan. I go, there's oh. something going on in Michigan. What is your polling saying as you made the big move to try to get the try to be the next senator there?
11: So we are two points down to the likely Democrat candidate who spent thirty million dollars in the last cycles getting elected to uh, as a member of Congress. Uh, And they were under 40%, 39, 37. And I just got started. I've been at this for about nine weeks now. I looked at that and said, we're going to win. We are absolutely going to win this. The issues are starting to line up. I mean, if you look at what the Biden economics has done to a working family in the state of Michigan, it is devastating. You know, everything costs 20% more than it did just two years ago. 20%. Nobody got a 20% raise, by the way. Uh, This year that are are, are these working families. And you just see the fact that this this administration and their allies in Congress are willing to spend four hundred and fifty billion dollars to take care of illegal immigrants and just house them Uh, that would pay for every teacher in Michigan and every state trooper for the next 18 years. I mean, people are starting to go, wait a minute, none of this is working. It's all broken. We have to change directions. We have to get our footing back. And that's the campaign we're running. And I'll tell you, Brian, encouraging, I've had Democrats who were previously elected, they're not in office today, call me and say, I'm in. I don't know how I'm going to help you. I'll come throw rocks at your house or I'll endorse you. You tell me, Um, because they know something's wrong and something's broken, and we need leadership in in washington dc and what you described to me is, so i can't go home and talk about it that's not leadership i know it's hard but that's not leadership i'm i'm taking all of these issues head on and when people start to realize that the government's mandating the kind of car you could drive the kind of stove you can cook on uh the kind of water heater you can get and you might not get hot water all day every day i mean that these these are the kinds of things that the democrats are saying you have to do uh in their america this is a destiny election. This is this is a we the people election. We're either going to figure out that we're going to be under the thumb of a Chinese Communist Party economy, or we're going to stand up and be the United States that is innovative and leaders in the world. And by the way, everybody can make their own American dream right here at home if we allow them to do it. And the government under the Biden administration and what they're doing in michigan under governor whitmer is basically the opposite we're going to tell you everything you need to do your car you drive the stove you cook on i mean this is getting really ridiculous and people are starting to take notice that's why we're going to flip michigan and that's why after 30 million dollars the likely democrat opponent is only two points up on me and that's at 39 percent. that means we got a lot of good stories to tell in the next year
3: got a lot of work to do it's going to be hard Uh, it's going to be cold but he's going to do it uh congressman (laughs) mike rogers Former Michigan congressman, former chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, now running for the open U.S. Senate seat in Michigan. Thanks, Mike.
11: Hey, thanks, Brian.
3: You got it. At represent, at R-E-P Mike Rogers. Uh, so, not R I P. R R.E.P. All right, so when we come back, uh, I'll open up the phones also at the bottom of the hour. Mark Fisher, you're going to be fascinated to hear the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Now he's got the wrong island cha- Rhode Island chapter. Likes Trump. Don't move.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
12: I want to describe the fears and anxieties of many Jewish Americans right now, particularly after October 7th who feel there are aspects of the debate around Israel and Gaza that are crossing over into anti-Semitism, rank anti-Semitism, with Jewish people simply being targeted for being Jewish, having nothing to do with Israel. I want to explain, through the lens of history, why this is so dangerous. The normalization and exacerbation of this rise in hate is the danger many Jewish people fear most.
3: You know, it's a powerful speech. I was trying to listen to it while doing the show, while looking at the closed caption, and it's really powerful. I just watched Dana and Bill were listening to it. They just bailed out of it, and he's still speaking now. But it's Chuck Schumer just standing up and saying, hey, listen, I'm Jewish. I'm in New York. I see all these, uh, I see all these protests, see these college campuses in Columbia and NYU, and he's worried, extremely worried. Let's listen
12: after Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, hate crimes against Jewish Americans have skyrocketed. The Anti-Defamation League estimates that anti-Semitic incidents have increased nearly 300% since October 7th. The NYPD has recorded a 214% increase in New York City. And after October 7th, Jewish Americans are feeling singled out, targeted, and isolated.
3: So, I mean, this is what you hear over and over again, but you, and you wonder why was not one of the most powerful Jewish leaders in the country speaking out? I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. It really blurs a lot of lines. I mean, Chris Murphy is really strong. Senator Blumenthal is really strong in Israel. That's what you got to do. You got to get back on the offensive. You have to wipe out Hamas. Listen, it's tough. But we can't pretend that you can do war and conflict uh, in a... In a way that is humane sometimes, you have to be inhumane to wipe out these subhumans. And Hamas has shown, as they hold on to a nine-month-old and a four-year-old, and threatened their captives, we're just getting some of these stories now, leaving them in total darkness, said, If you say a word or raise your voice more than a whisper, I will shoot you dead. And they whispered for those 50-plus days. And... Everything else that goes with hostage taking. And I've got more details on what captivity was like. The report start dribbling out as we wait to see if this pause will hold. And the only way for it to hold is for Hamas to give up 10 more, 10 more hostages. Will they do it?
2: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: When I looked at that recent poll, the Wall Street Journal, I I said, oh, this could keep me up at night. Look, the problem is, and the biggest challenge we face is, is Democrats. I say we because... I'm a Democrat, is that young voters, young black and Latino voters, they're not ready to come back to the party. They're not even looking at the the so-called messaging that's being sent to them about the economy, about climate change, about student debt relief. They are worried about their future. And right now they're looking for a leader who represents their values and their vision. And I think the, the president's campaign is going to have to really you know, go deep and go hard to motivate those voters to come back within the Democratic Party coalition. Because without them, it is a tight race and it's going to come down to four states.
3: Well, there you go. Donna Brazil admitting at this point later she'll she'll just ignore it because she wants her team to win. Understood. But just saying the numbers are really disturbing. And the big problem is that she is being dishonest on unless she's delusional is these policies aren't popular because they suck. Not because they in tr- the, the success isn't trumpeted, it's because they're terrible policies. They're agenda-driven instead of what's in the best interest of our country. Mark Fisher is co-founder of Black Lives Matter of Rhode Island and joins us now. Mark, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
3: and thanks for joining us on Fox & Friends yesterday. And, you know, you were talking to Lawrence, and I wanted to see if I can get you on radio to expand on what you thought. Uh, first off, what Donna Brazil just said, what is your re- reflection?
10: Well, she's right. She's, she's spot on, and I think they've got the pulse of, of Black America, especially young Black America, and they're starting to panic, and as they should, rightly so, because for so long they've taken our vote for granted. And you listen to some of the things that these Democrats have to say about, you know, Black people. For instance, Joe Biden said, uh, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, you know, that uh, he said, unlike the Latino community, the Black community. Uh, except a few notable exceptions, are not a diverse community at all. And this is our candidate. This is the people that we went and drove for to vote in as president.
3: It's crazy. I mean, and he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, famously. Exactly. to Charlemagne the God. But <laughs> he got a pass on it because, uh, because Mark, a lot right. of people think uh, blacks have nowhere to go. The Republicans don't want them, uh, right. and Democrats take them for granted. Do right. you think that's wrong? Do you th- Is anything what I just said uh, a mischaracterization?
10: Well, here's the thing, Brian, it was like that. And, and I can speak from, you know, the previous generation, for instance, my parents, um, they, they I felt like the the last generation was forced to vote Democrat because they felt like the Republican Party didn't want them. Um, And so it's something that, you know, they had to do. But when you look at today, things are changing, the social climate is changing and, and Black people are saying, well, you know, not only, you know, do we want to see it at the table, but we want, you know, um, part of the recipe as well. We want to we want to be included in in the meal, and so um, so we felt like with with that being said, the, the principles of the Republican Party are much more aligned with Black people. Black people are Republican by nature. We don't want the government in our business. We're entrepreneurial. We're family oriented. You know, patriots.
3: Right, and a lot of this woke stuff doesn't seem to gel with a lot. With a lot of people, feel the Black community, in many as diverse as it is. Is reflective of your values,
10: exactly. And, well, and so it's when you say you're talking about the, the the Democratic Party being diverse in in what way?
3: No, I'm saying that as diverse as your culture is, I don't want to speak uh, right and say everybody does everything about and believes everything that I'm about to say. But for the mm-hmm. most part, you know, when you think of the African American community, you don't think woke.
10: No, <laughs> you no, know, and and that's a, that's the term when I did the, the Epoch Times. You know I find offensive because to me it, it has a, a connotation to it that's that's almost um it's it's uh it's patronizing yeah. and um you know and unless it's used in a term of education i i ne- i never liked the word and donald Trump doesn't like it either he, because you know he understands what the word it really doesn't mean anything it's a cultural it's a word used it's a trigger word used you know for cultural war and and here's the thing um for so long we've had these these parties and these politicians and these, and these ideologies and these pundits who, 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 who put, based their agenda on division. And, and I'm, and I'm, here I come and I'm saying, listen, we've given that uh, set so much time and such a platform and such oxygen, you know, what's, what's wrong? Let's try this. Because there's something wrong in our country. Obviously, there's something wrong. And when I reach out, and I speak from, I'm, I speak from experience, personal experience. I not only fought for my people, I fought for white people. I went down there and fought for J Sixers. I went down to the federal courthouse, and I stood out there. I went to the court hearings of the Proud Boys, of Enrique Tarrio, um, Joe Biggs, these people, and um, I led vigils, prayer vigils. I called in weekly on the weekly prayer call with Jake Lang and prayed led prayers and did vigils um, with the jails in D.C. the gulags. So I like so I you know I I got my, I got the receipts. So when I, I say this, you know, and so, when when the people reach out to me, they say they're heartened because they're they're so frustrated and thus heartened. The message is loud and clear. They want to improve the race relations. They just really don't know how.
3: So, Mark, give us your background. You're over there in Rhode Island. You're running the Black Lives Matter chapter. I have not seen people active in leadership in Black Lives Matter that wouldn't be open to a Republican nominee, let alone President Trump. Now, with mis- misperceptions, I believe, just because I have a chance to know them. Um, and I also know the Republican Party used to be the party of African-Americans, of Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. So
10: mm-hmm.
3: I know the history. So, Mark, what is your background?
10: You mean as far as politically?
3: Yeah, like when, when you came into your own, in your career, what, what led you to this moment?
10: Okay, so, well, you know, like I said, we, you know, black people, for some reason, we, this Democratic Party has this hold on us. And, it, you know, it's just, to me, it's, I, you know, it's not good. There's a lot of problems in our community, Brian. A lot of problems.
3: How did you and, grow you know, up, Mark?
10: Um, I grew up as a Christian, man. Like, my daddy, he was a pastor, and he was a uh, Masters of Divinity, Doctorate in Ministry, very intelligent, highly intelligent, church planter, missionary, and pastor. So, you know, that, that's the that's the background I come from.
3: What led you to Black Lives Matter?
10: Well, I just didn't like the way that black people were being treated. And here's the thing, because when I started the organization, and, and everybody had their own reason from coast to coast, chapter to chapter, why they got involved. For me, personally, it was because I needed to change the narrative, because I didn't like the narrative that was being created for me. I said, no longer am I going to allow myself to be defined by the media, by print, by my neighbor, by my hater. No, I'm going to define my own narrative. And, and so and, and that's what I did.
3: So when you come out and say statements like this, I'm sure the, the leadership of Black Lives Matter, wherever they are, everyone just keeps relinquishing it, might be like, hey, Mark Fisher, I don't know what you're doing in Rhode Island, but that, that's not what we're talking about. Are they trying to get that Black Lives Matter moniker away from you?
10: Well, here's the thing. Black Lives Matter. It's it's not, there's no patent on that. You can't, you know, and so it's, you know, I'm going to tell you, Donald Trump called me yesterday. And he, uh, he told me that, um, this is why I love Donald Trump. He thanked me. And we had a, a, a heart-to-heart conversation. And we kept it real. And he said to me, he said, Mark, you're the biggest story on the planet. And um, he told me you gave him his number. You gave him my number. So yep. I was grateful. I was grateful for that. And um he said to me, Am I getting backlash? And I said to him, Well, I create my own narrative. That's the thing. So I don't it, to me it doesn't it doesn't really matter um what what you know what people are saying. And obviously it's catching and, and it's because it's catching because my message is like I said yesterday, one of unity. I'm here to bring the marginalized groups to the center. And I'm not just speaking a campaign Logan, but we are truly stronger together, um, we, because united we stand and divided, we fall especially against the mm. tyranny of an overreaching and over legislating government
3: so so when you uh, I, I just hate making broad uh, broad swipes of this, but like when you say you look at different communities, just like you look at different areas of the country, say, what do they need so if, you, if, if some politician wants to deliver for the black community, what would be some of the things they would do?
10: Well, it, the thing about if if politicians wanted to deliver for the black community, the, the 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 one thing that they would have to do, and this is what Donald Trump was doing with his policies, empowering black people to help themselves, and that's what he was doing with the opportunity zones. That's what he wanted to do with the platinum plan. That's what he did with the HBCUs. These are incentive based plans that that uh, reward your effort, our efforts and these are the type of policies because the, the 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 handouts and the dependency on the democratic party is slowly destroying the black family. Um the democratic party is is basically um the antithesis mm-hmm. to what the black family yearns for in this country when you talk about freedom, liberty um and you know the pursuit of happiness. Um you know and, and to raise a family. They go against everything that that stands for with their mm-hmm. policies that kind of embellish the the, the preschool to pr- prison pipeline at uh, their policies. When they're when when they finished raising our children, then guess what? They come back for them. They say, well, we fed them, we housed them, we gave them checks, we raised them, now they're ours, we're going to put them to work in our private prisons that, you know, continue that whole cycle. cycle. Yeah.
3: Uh, I want to share oh, this with back. you. This is April Ryan. Uh, uh, she's... Uh, I assume she's got a job. Uh, I think she was at CNN for a while. I'm not sure where she is now. But here's her at the White House briefing. Listen to what she brings up to the press secretary. Cut 33.
1: I had an in-depth conversation with Stevie Wonder last night, who is... I love Stevie Wonder. Again, for the serious
0: question. He's very concerned about black agenda falling along the wayside is this president amenable to meeting with stevie wonder who has these concerns
4: as far as a meeting with the president I certainly i'm not aware of any meetings uh with with um, um mr wonder
3: mr wonder, <laughs> mr. wonder. so y- your thoughts about her using her time to get get a meeting with the president stevie wonder
10: unbelievable i mean it, the 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 lunacy is like, it's, I mean, you know, I, I, I can't even listen to these people anymore. I really can't. I, I'm i so fed up with them and the whole party. Uh, you know, Kareem, I, you know, God bless her, I love her, but I can't listen to her. I can't listen. I can't even watch Joe Biden. So, you know, I really, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like watching a train wreck.
3: Well, we'll see. Right now, Trump's That's winning in all the battleground states and winning head to head as is Nikki Haley and in most in most polls, uh, even Ron DeSantis. Mark Fisher, great talking to you, co-founder of Black Lives Matter Rhode Island Division. And I'll talk to you again.
10: Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you, man.
3: And you can follow him at Mark Fisher Focus. Back in a moment.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio You're with Brian Kilmeade.
1: That's she could
2: have emailed
12: that she could have called
2: exactly.
1: she was it they, emailed all I, she was trying she was name
12: dropping look at me I'm important. She mentioned Stevie Wonder's name five times five times in one question come on it's
4: a great name though like if you're gonna spend time on the phone with somebody yeah wouldn't you want to talk to Stevie Wonder?
0: Of course. Well there you go. Why well, I, I don't see much of a difference between the black agenda and the white agenda. Both want safe streets and low prices. Like Never Stevie tried. Wonder, you don't Big see color.
3: And- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long way to go. That was a very good line, though. But, I mean, we, we, of course, that was playing off April Ryan's question. I talked to Stevie Wonder last night. I mean, think about that. All right, congratulations. Talked to Stevie Wonder. I want to know about the black agenda. Okay. So she, that was her, that was her moment. What are you supposed to say to that? So I remember she asked some other leading questions too, and I remember President Trump took a question from him, go, "Yeah, go, go, uh, yeah, go get the congressional black carcass and bring them over, and I'll talk to them." Crazy. The other thing I want to talk about is what's going on at the border. Uh, the border today, Mayorkas is going down to the Rio Grande Valley. He's going to check the status. How about this status? We've already set a record for illegals. We're at three point two million. $3.2 million, let alone the gotaways, and another million in there. Look at what's happening in New York. So far in New York, we've spent $5 billion on illegal immigrants, their housing, their dental, uh, their laundry, uh, their transportation, trying to get them jobs. Only 1% showed up to get those jobs. Okay, good. So next year is projected to be another $7 billion. Uh, in Chicago, they are so excited. They said they're able to handle, uh, I think it is 4000 They've gotten 4,000, and they're they're concerned about the future. We get 4,000 every 10 days uh, for the past two years. That's under this president. Did you see the train, people overflowing, pouring out of the train? Yet people still think, when you look at uh, what's going on at the border, uh, they still think, people say it's just right now overwhelmed because of natural causes, climate change, people just looking for a better opportunity in life. That's not the way it works. You don't get to change countries because you think ours is better. We know it's better. Brian Silva uh, talked about this on primetime last night. Cut 28.
11: They're not phased. It's like they're walking down to the store, to the corner market. They know where they're going. You know, they just ask which way. And I just point them to the direction of the illegal staging area that they have. They have anywhere from... 50 to 500 out there at any time the border is not secure we do have an open border right now because they're just walking in and you know we spend millions and billions of dollars of securing other other borders in other countries before we secure ours
3: and it's nuts and that is a this is a landowner who owns a farm and these border crossers just go over and just use his land cross through it he's always worried about his security Stephen Miller on last night, and then of a debate situation on Laura Ingram's show. Some saying that, you know, Donald Trump had it worse. Nobody thinks that Donald Trump did worse. Cut 29.
7: Nobody in this country except the radical left and politicians in Washington want our communities deluge with never-ending streams of low-wage labor. It depletes the tax base. It destroys public education. It destroys health care. And let's talk numbers real quick. ICE removals, which is the only statistic that matters when it comes to enforcement, are at their lowest level since the agency was created. And in 2020, you know how many discretionary releases of illegal aliens there were into this country? Zero. Zero discretionary releases in 2020 because under the Trump administration, if we apprehended you, you were sent packing, sent home. If this migration crisis isn't shut down, there will not be a middle class in this country. There will not be a working class in this country. There will be two classes, the very rich and well-connected and the poor and struggling. This will kill and is killing the American dream.
3: But it's not helping, I know that for sure, and I see angry uh, uh, the black community over in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and I hear it's a lot worse besides that uprising at the city council meeting. So now we find out too, there's criminals. Venezuelan migrants were caught stealing from retailers over in Chicago. Good job. Uh, also, at the border patrol, the Rio Grande sector has arrested at least 21. Drum roll, please, for all the wrong reasons. 21 child sex predators crossing illegally, and that's just from countries where they register. Imagine those uh, those outlaw countries that we don't that don't subscribe to this type of reporting. So, the Washington Post says this. It gives this advice to Democrats. Republicans are insisting to include border security in this next raft of aid to Ukraine, Taiwan, and Israel. The Republicans say not a chance until we get some asylum reform and we get some reform when, and so get some money to bolster the border, not accommodations for the illegals. Here's what The Washington Post says. Republicans have one thing right about the border. The Biden administration's strategy to keep asylum seekers from flocking to the United States is not working. Democrats Might flinch at the proposition, but the Republicans' idea that it should be together for asylum seekers to enter the United States makes some sense. The Washington Post thinks Republicans make some sense. That's news. Don't forget to pick up Teddy and Booker T. BrianKillMe.com. Find out why I'm going to be in New Jersey. Find out what I'm going to be doing in Texas at the Bush Library. At Harker Heights also uh, in Texas. And then at Fairhope, Alabama, one of the greatest towns in America. All that coming your way. Brian Kilmeade here.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here from Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Thanks so much for being here. Um, thank, uh, we have a big hour coming your way. Carl Rove is just getting out of the shower. He wanted me to buy some time. Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour actually might even be a 20 after Uh, she's the anchor of the story threshold coming off Fox News Channel. She's going to be hosting a show at three o'clock tonight. So let's get to the big three. Then we'll get the call.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. So the non-Trump candidates are very likely just, we're talking about deck chairs, shuffling them around here. But sometimes New Hampshire and Iowa can break late. Is anyone, any voter going to pay attention to this endorsement? No. But they do have some resources that will be helpful to Haley. That is true. And
3: Nikki Haley does get a win uh, and gets a lot of money from the Koch brothers also, the gubernatorial debate, I got to get Carl Rove's take on this. Newsom against DeSantis, big upside, big downside uh, for DeSantis. He could reprime his his uh, campaign, I think.
4: Number two,
5: everyone has the right to plead the fifth. But, you know, according to Hunter Biden's attorney today, he wants to come forward. And I think that's great. Give him an opportunity. He's going to have due process. He's going to be able to answer some questions. But this isn't about Hunter Biden. This is an investigation by Congress of Joe Biden.
3: That is uh, pretty interesting. James Comer, Hunter, takes on Comer and demands a public hearing on his hijinks. That's his legal team. Why it's right for the GOP to start him behind closed doors as intended and how it all hurts the president.
0: Number one.
6: I hope that you will see more prisoners released. I hope you will see an extension of this ceasefire. But Israel is not done. Israel is going to destroy Hamas's military capability. I believe they have a moral obligation to do that.
3: Yeah, I think so, too. Twelve delivered Tuesday, ten more today, and it's back to war in Gaza? Not so fast. Behind the scenes, a big push for the CIA director and others for Israel to pump the brakes and Iran's while Iran sends a drone to harass the USS Eisenhower, and all we do is warn and watch. A lot going on. Nothing Carl Rove can't handle. Best-selling author, former deputy chief of staff under President Bush. Carl, uh, welcome back.
8: Thanks for having me.
3: Uh, first off, the off, Same to you. Uh, Carl, how much does it agonize you as an American, let alone know if somebody knows how a, a functional White House performs, that the uh, U.S.S. Eisenhower would be badgered by an Iranian drone and we do nothing?
8: Uh, let's hope that we uh, are doing something. It may be that we don't talk about it, but it, let's hope that we do something that lets the Iranians know uh, we're not going to stand for this kind of stuff. What about
3: uh, 74 attacks with four answers?
8: Yeah, well, again – uh, that's what we've been told about. Uh, my hope is that there's more. If there isn't, somebody's making a big mistake because uh, we, we need to be proportional, but there needs to be consequences for this, and the Iranians need to walk away saying, you know what, we better not do that stuff.
3: So when can you give me the, uh, the the decision points here? Because if you're a president you find out there's been 74 attacks, there's been about three dozen traumatic brain injuries, and we've been fortunate so far. Uh, With the others, does the president have to decide when and how to hit back or can the secretary of defense use his own initiative?
8: Well, the, the Secretary of Defense can, but only if the president says, you you, you come to me with a plan and I'll approve it. So the, the the president needs to be involved in this, and there needs to be a concerted effort to send a message to the Iranians, we're not going to stand for this. And it's, you know, it's, okay, fine, the Houthis send a, you know, a lob of ballistic missile in the lands 10 miles away from a U.S. destroyer. You know, let, let make, them, make them feel something. Uh, if Iranian uh, militias in Iraq – Uh, undertake these kind of attacks. We, We know where they have facilities. We know where they have, they store their weapons. We know where their command centers are. We know where they billet their people. And we ought to be taking out as many of those as possible. Uh, granted, we're, we're operating in Iraq, but the Iraqis, you know, they're, 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 and, and a lot of and some of these militias are associated with the with the ruling party in Iraq. But we ought to make it clear to the Iranians: you do this kind of stuff, there's going to be a price to be paid, and it's not 74 to 4. I mean, think about that. That's nearly, you know, what is it, 18 to 1 for every 18 attacks you make against us, we'll do one on you.
3: It's crazy. Uh, so let's talk about what's happening behind the scenes with Israel. Everybody wants the hostages back, Carl, but also people, if you leave Hamas intact or not destroyed, I think you failed as a prime minister. What's going on behind the scenes, do you think? And what do you think the Netanyahu should be doing now?
8: Well, my hope is that <clears throat> that they're using this this interval as as they're exchanging Hostages for prisoners. Hostages meaning people who are swept, innocent, swept up uh, from their from their communities and their homes and their schools. And prisoners, I mean, people who've gone through the judicial system and have been sent to prison. I mean, this really, we need to keep this in mind. Think about this. We're exchanging children and women who were swept up out of a kibbutz or a school or a maternity ward and or a rock concert we're exchanging them for people now granted they may be 14 or 15 or 16 years old but they've been they've been found guilty of violent acts they they took a you know knife and went after somebody because they were a jew or they engaged in you know in 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 violence on people because they were israelis that's what we're seeing here. So, what what ought to be happening is is this moment where there there's a stand down. They ought to be taking that moment to re, re, to use their intelligence to identify targets. They ought to be using this as a as a moment to replenish their troops, give them a bit of rest. But they ought to be planning what is the next move when this stops. All right. Because so will stop.
3: So the Israeli armed chief uh, uh, army chief of staff, Lieutenant General. Uh Herzi Halvalli said yesterday that Israel's first goal was to secure the safe release of all the hostages, uh and the second one was to resume the fighting. But the Wall Street Journal says the chief brokers of the hostage prisoner exchange are pushing for the two sides for a prolonged truce in Gaza beyond the current two day extension. Where would you stand on that?
8: Well, it's not up to us. It's up to the Israelis, and my sense is well, we the the weapons. Is- we can
3: we use leverage and influence.
8: Well, you know what, though? We, we ought to stand with Israel, and it ought to be Israel's call, and we ought to back them. And if they say we need, we need additional munitions and supplies in order to decimate Hamas, and our goal is to make certain that its military leadership is incapable of mounting another October 7th, uh, then we ought, to, we ought to do it. This, this, is, this is not our call. It's their call.
3: Evidently, behind the scenes, the secretary of defense is letting people know and the president is letting people know got to be much more surgical in the south than they've been. Is that a mistake for that to get public? And is he right to say it?
8: Well, look, we do want them to be as surgical as possible. And, And look. Let's be honest. The Israelis want to be as surgical as possible. The Israelis feel bound by the laws of war, of proportionality, of focusing on on, on military targets, not civilians. They, they are they are bound morally and, and and emotionally to that to to that. But you know, the issue is is that we're fighting people who are not so constrained, and we saw it on October 7th when their targets were not military installations and police barracks, their targets were a rock concert and a school and kibbutzes and ordinary civilians who were not, you know, members of the military Mm -hmm. or the police. So... Yes, I, I get it. The administration feels obligated to cover its flank, domestic flank uh, at home. The Democratic Party has a very visible pro Palestinian, anti Israel element, and they're trying to placate that. But let's not kid ourselves. The Israelis want to do that as well because they realize in the international stage that they have to play on, uh, they, that one of the things that they have is a belief that they agree with the moral principles that guide most countries, not Russia, not China, not North Korea, mm-hmm. not Iran, not not the Houthis, not the Hezbollah and Hamas, but govern most of the world uh, in, 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 the, in the, the rules of war.
3: So I want to fast forward to 2024. How significant that the Koch brothers are going to back Governor Nikki Haley?
8: Well, it, it, it's first of all, it gives her a big bump. And in, in we're, we're talking about it here for a couple of days. And it gives her access to a big pocket of money. If if AFP, Americans for Prosperity, have been doing the kind of job they say they've been doing in going door to door in Iowa and identifying who's for who, this could be a very valuable addition to her campaign.
3: Do you believe that she has moved past DeSantis as the one that best challenge Donald Trump?
8: Well, we see that in the polls. I mean, take, take the Fox News poll. Uh, Biden versus uh, the Republican candidates. Uh, Trump up by four, DeSantis up by five, Nikki Haley up by eleven. Uh, and they take a look at the Iowa poll in August. She was at six, uh, DeSantis was at nineteen. At the beginning of October, she was at sixteen and he was at sixteen. Uh, She's jumping up ten, he's dropping three. So my sense is that the polls today would probably find her in Iowa uh, closing in on twenty and him, you know, thirteen or fourteen. But but look. The next forty-seven days are critical because remember, uh, Iowa—they take a while to lock in, but once they lock in, they're for you. But they—a lot of them lock in late, and there's a lot of movement here at the end. People say, "Well, you know what? I'm thinking about voting for X." Think about this: the former president in the October, uh, uh, the October Iowa uh, poll had forty-three percent, up from forty-two in August. So he's flat. Mm-hmm. And of that 43, he's the former president. 29 of the 43 say, my mind is made up, I'm for Donald Trump. But 14 of the 43 say, no, nah, I'm for him today, but I'm, I'm, I'm open to being uh, to considering other candidates to vote for.
3: I believe that DeSantis can wake up the whole campaign and let people understand the possibility. If he wipes the floor with Gavin Newsom, using yep. some of the power he's earned in Florida about the successes he's had, if he put the study time to see... Do the opposition research to find out what gavin Newsom's going to say what do you think how does how does this play out tomorrow? You must be fascinated by the possibilities i,
8: I really am fascinated by it because it's uh, you know it's it's it, it is uh, it's going to be red states blue states, and you know it's going to be interesting because hannity uh the 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 more fair hannity is, the more he is the moderator asking questions about you know you know, here's what here's the, what's the red state answer and what's the blue state answer and how are each of you doing? And then and then you know, sort of keeping them honest, being the guy who keeps them honest. Hannity could play a huge role in allowing both of these men to make their case mm-hmm. to their respective audiences. Remember, each one of them has got an audience they're playing to. Newsom is the is playing to an audience that that will say, God, he stood up and defended uh, our, our progressive view of what policy ought to be. And and DeSantis will be there. I'm the conservative, and I will show you how conservative governance works. So both of them have a have a crowd they're playing to. They're not playing to the same crowd. So they're they're going to be willing to let the sharp differences show. And the more that Hannity allows those sharp differences to show, the better for everybody, including Gavin Newsom. So let me the-
3: let me drill down for a second. Let's say you remember remember when Joe Biden knew damn well that was his son's laptop, he chose to lie. And said so 51 intel experts say it's Russian disinformation. If you're right. the host, even in retrospect, if you're if you're the moderator, is it your you know, that is, you know, in real time, do you say, well, that's not just not true? Uh, you know, do you? Well, do you, you,
8: you yes. But you've got to find an artful way to do that. You, you've got to you've got to say, well, you know, you say that. But others say this
3: as moderator,
8: and as the moderator. Yeah. okay. Now, it's not your job to say you're lying. But it's your job to say, well, other people disagree with you and they say this so that you can put them on the record because, uh, you know, you don't want to be like we've seen in, in presidential debates before where a moderator has sometimes said, in essence, you're lying or that's wrong and turned out not to be correct. But it's entirely plausible to say, well, you know, you say that, but others say this. What's your response? It's gonna be
3: fascinating. Uh, and do you think that DeSantis could revive uh, the possibilities of his campaign with a with a with a to, with a big knockout tonight, tomorrow night?
0: Well,
8: remember what I'm saying is it doesn't necessarily need to be a knockout because you're you're not going to get that guy to admit over there. What what is going to help DeSantis is being able to say, look at my state, look how I've governed, listen to what I said I would do and what I have done, and see if you find that appealing if you're a Republican primary voter. And that's different than, you know, I've I've, I've won the debating point vis-a-vis you. No, it's explaining what you have done and why your state is superior that's Mm. going to gain him the advantage tonight.
3: Have you enjoyed the time we have together? And do you have any advice for me? Because I'm going to be at the Bush Library on Saturday uh, being interviewed. As anything I should know, I was there a couple of years ago. Anything I should know, Carl, about Texas, about the Bush Library?
8: Well, just say say if you're asked about the the, uh, of the the end of the football season, say you hope Texas wins the conference championship. That's it. Uh, I'd be complimentary of the new coach at Texas A&M. Right. So you cover both your bases, Aggies and Longhorns, and uh, and say also that SMU, the campus you're going to be on, has a chance to be to win its conference as well. So you wish you wish the Ponies uh, well as well as as well as uh, as the other two teams.
3: A lot of sports. I hope to have. Uh, I hope to be able to maybe go back to the president's house for lunch.
8: Excellent. All Excellent.
3: Right. Go get him, Carl Rove.
8: Thank you, sir. Thank All
3: the you. best. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. I'll be back with Martha McCallum and you in just a moment. Don't move.
2: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian
12: Kilmeade. After Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, hate crimes against Jewish Americans have skyrocketed. The Anti-Defamation League estimates that anti-Semitic incidents have increased nearly 300% since October 7th. The NYPD has recorded a 214% increase in New York City. And after October 7th, Jewish Americans are feeling singled out, targeted, and isolated.
3: Uh, That is Chuck Schumer gave an emotional speech about anti-Semitism in America. He did watch the 30-minute horror show of uh, what happened on December, excuse me, on October seventh in uh, Israel that was put out there by Hamas, and he watched it. It Took a half hour in his office by himself, and then gave that significant speech today. Uh, It's taken a while, but he's he is the most powerful. Uh, Democrat in Washington and joining us now, one of the most powerful anchors at Fox. How appropriate, Martha McCallum. Martha, this was a moving speech he gave, right?
1: Good to be with you, Brian. Good morning. It was. Uh, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. and And one of the sections that I thought was particularly, there was a lot of it that was very compelling, obviously, and things that people really need to be reminded of in this country. But he talked about the people who are divided on this issue in his own party and he said we marched together for you know after George Floyd we marched together for all of these issues and now suddenly he feels like they're deserting the cause that means maybe the most to him and he's trying to figure it out and I think that's a very interesting question for the party um he's he is representing a belief system that has been in place in this country since World War II. And there's resistance and tension about that now. It's a big who are we question. Who, and who and are I think we?
3: President Biden is trying to get reelected, and he's looking at his poll numbers and saying, wait, I'm lo- losing 18 to 34s. How do I get them back? Right. And now you wonder if that's part of what we hear is the wavering in the backdrop of him saying, yeah. let's leave the – yesterday he actually said it. Let's hope for a longer truce or peace agreement, excuse me. What's the objective? How does he forget the objective, your thought?
1: Well, you can see the push and pull that's happening at the White House. And you can you can sense that the president looks at these numbers. Look, his numbers are terrible completely separate from that. On the economy, he's got a 59% disapproval rating. You have to he's in thir, at 37% approval rating. Generally, as an incumbent president, you've got to be 40-45 to have mm. a hope of hanging on, right? He's well below that so that this isn't his only problem. And so far, you know, he seems in at least outwardly to be aligning with Israel. And when you whenever you press people in Israel on this, they say, oh, no, we're happy with the president's support, you know, because they can't lose it. So right. it, it's it's a very interesting tension for him as he heads into 2024.
3: It is a surprise to me how many how much weaponry we have to give them still. I just assume they had enough, but they don't. Good question. Yeah, Martha McCallum's going to stick around in a moment.
2: Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: I don't support an indefinite ceasefire, which sounds to me like Hamas getting off the hook. That sounds to me like the planners and the executors of the attack on Israel not being held accountable. Listen, I've been clear about the fact that I think the civilian death rate inside Gaza has been too high. Um, But I do not think that Israel should stand down uh, at a moment when there are a lot of perpetrators of those attacks who are still on the loose inside Gaza.
3: Uh, two Connecticut senators I agree with. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy trying to be delicate but saying you cannot have a situation where Hamas lives to fight and live another day. And Senator Blumenthal said some of the same things, but not the squad and not many others and certainly not the protesters. It might be showing up tonight, Martha McCallum, uh, at the tree light, Christmas tree lighting tonight to disrupt that like they did last, uh, last Sunday at the Manhattan Bridge and beyond.
1: Yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of layers to this. Um, first of all. Israel obviously has every right to retaliate strongly, and, and this is what Hamas wanted. They don't. You don't That's pull off a barbaric attack like this, and and put your motorcycles and your GoPros on to record the whole thing, and then release it. If you don't want to incite an enormous counterattack, they knew it. They knew it. Right now, I don't understand why a lot of these people who support. Everyone, everyone is on the side of innocent civilians, right? Innocent think. civilians should be protected. This is a war. We've been here before. The war is underway. Everyone was encouraged to move south. Everyone was encouraged to get out of the way as best they could, right? Warnings that came in, you know, the, like, light... Um, Munitions that they drop on the top of a building to tap and tell people, please get out where, you know, there is incoming. I don't understand why Rashida Tlaib, why aren't they saying, you know what, to the Palestinian people, you can do so much better than Hamas. You live in a place that should be like Tel Aviv. You need your own economy. You need your freedom. You need the young women who live in this in the Gaza Strip need to have the freedom to walk around as they please, wearing what they want to wear and hoping for a future. Why aren't they saying that? Why aren't they blaming Hamas for what has come upon the Gaza Strip?
3: They put up for a vote. Do we all reaffirm Israel's right to exist? Rashida Tlaib and Cory Bush voted present. Let alone condemning Hamas. They don't want any part of it. And when you thought they were just on the fringe, you see a lot of people, Harvard, Yale, NYU, small colleges, big colleges around the country. Most are for Palestine, which doesn't exist. The Palestinians, which cause they didn't care about, it seems, up until October 8th.
1: Well, we have a long history uh, of presidents who support a two-state solution. You know, I, I don't think, I think most Americans are supportive of the notion that there should be a Palestinian territory and Israeli territory. The problem is that consecutive presidents from, you know, Bill Clinton to Jimmy Carter through the present have dealt with peace processes that have led to a, a very, you know, tons of concessions on both sides, an agreement that looked like it was about to come together for a two state solution. And then who walks away? The Palestinians and why do they walk away from the table at the last minute every single time? Because they're not okay with there being an Israel.
3: Yep, and that's what Hamas they so, said. I
1: mean, two state solution. Someone please tell the Palestinian leadership that you want a two state solution because they don't seem to want one.
3: And, and they have no accountability with the money we gave them. We got Mahmoud Abbas, uh, yeah, Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazin who has thirty five million dollars in a private jet, but yet the people are starving. Yes, uh, listen exactly. to this was so disappointing to me. I like that he comes on all channels. But Hanna said this on Sunday.
8: Their military capability has been diminished with the bombing in nor- northern Gaza. But their political support and sometimes actually increases every time you have images of children and women killed. That's why there has to be a diplomatic solution. Until there is an independent Palestinian state, uh, there is not going to be peace or security in that region and America needs to show leadership. I believe our Gulf allies will help us if we bring the diverse Palestinian voices to the table. There needs to be one condition. Any Palestinian voice at that table needs to recognize the state of Israel.
0: And then we need to work towards
8: an no independent kidding. Palestinian state. <laughs> is, I mean, he, is he, no he out kidding. of his mind?
1: Find us the, the, the Palestinian leadership who is on board with this, who is satisfied by having an Israel and a Palestine. Yeah. It's going to be problematic. but But Hamas is not leading these people to a productive future. They don't care about the people. We heard this from the leadership. When the bombs started fall, falling, they said, we love our martyrs. We right. love our martyrs, okay? Mm-hmm. So this this is not a leadership that is looking towards a brighter future for its people.
3: Right, and for him to say that, a smart guy like this, just to go on, he said, we say, Hamas is not allowed at the table – Everyone else is who the Palestinian Authority. Nobody believes in that. But Palestinian Authority doesn't even think they're good brokers because they know where they stand. So who is this? Uh, who is the Gandhi of the Palestinian people that we can deal with? The Mandela that sees through it all that wants to come forward. No one's even stepped up to said, look at me so we could even do a background check on you. I can they're Google. Terrified.
1: Them. I mean, who's going anyone who stands up and tries to do that in this environment isn't going to last very long um with Hamas lording over them but let's hope that there is a person like that who can emerge because the the situation that these people were living under before the bombing was so oppressive and stifling it it is a sad sad story and i do think that the attention of the world should be on the innocent people who live in the gaza strip absolutely and obviously understanding of the retaliation that Israel must carry out, given what was done to their people. And oh, it's still going on. There's still hostages are still in these tunnels and eight or nine of them are Americans. We hear almost nothing about the American investment in this situation the
3: Americans who were killed. That day. 30
1: Americans were killed. I was saying this this morning at our meeting. Why we need to remind people of this. 30 Americans killed eight to nine. We believe hostages being held in these tunnels right now. We don't know their names. We haven't had proof of life. When was the last time you saw a hostage, hostage situation where the, the beginning of the negotiation isn't show me where they are, show me pictures of our proof people, alive. tell me that they're okay, and then we can talk? We don't have anything. Nothing. We haven't negotiated anything out of these people it's like guesswork oh I, I hope somebody's on the list john kirby says well we don't really have any involvement in the list really we lost 30 americans and we have eight to nine americans who are there and oh no we, well we're not involved in the list so we're just going to kind of hang back and hope that uh, eventually they let them out
3: yeah here's a little of that john kirby interview cut to
1: we don't
0: support uh, displacement outside of guys
1: and look most of these people don't want to
0: leave that's their home Um, Now, they've been internally displaced to a fairly well, obviously, particularly out of the north. And so, as we've also said, is that we don't support southern operations uh, unless or until the Israelis uh, can show that they have accounted for all the internally displaced people of Gaza.
3: Wow. Uh, Number one, that wasn't your interview. My apologies. But number two is he says, I don't support southern operations till they can show us where, excuse me. You, they need to go into that area, and sadly, they went into the north, and we didn't know where the hostages were then. Why should anything change? Here's what they're going to do. They're going to play this out. 10 We're going to get 10 today, probably. Yeah. And then they're going to say, listen, we're going to extend it. Okay, 10 more.
1: Look, it was a smart move. Um, I don't like to call anything Hamas does smart, but wily, whatever word you want to use, um, taking these hostages, pays. it worked. And they know that. They've learned this over time, right? They remember Galad Shalit. They got 1,000 people out of prison for one Israeli prisoner back in 2006, I believe it was. They look at the deal that we made with Tehran. We did five release from prisoners, five released hostages, plus $6 billion. That was a bad deal. And four weeks later, they took 230 people after they slaughtered 1,200 of them. So they, there's a learning curve that is quite obvious here. If you take people yep. and you hold them hostage, you will bring these huge world powers to their knees.
3: Brittany Greiner? Right. What do we give up? We, the, the number one arms dealer, Victor Boot, in the world for a basketball player? This and we is, left the Marine, by yeah, the way. We,
1: we've been training and teaching that this works for quite some time now, and it, it is hugely problematic for our policy.
3: All right. Uh I want to bring you to I, I want to bring you to the big deal agreement now with on Capitol Hill. So they gotta decide to finance the uh, the Israel War, the Ukraine war, Taiwan's defense as well. And the Republicans said, no, no, I don't do any of that unless you give me some border. Even the Washington Post said Republicans are right on this. Border's broken, Asylum law's gotta change. And Schumer's insisting gets to some before Christmas. Mike Rod- uh not Mike Rogers. Mike Turner came out over the weekend and said, I don't see this being done before. How do you see this playing out, looking ahead as they start wrestling over these issues?
1: Well, politically, we know that it's a winner to put money in to secure the southern border. I think a lot of Americans look at what's going on in Ukraine and in Israel and the money that we spend in both places, and granted, we have our own national security reasons for doing that, but they say, well, that's fine, but make me, you know, make sure that my border is safe. You know, you, you listen to these families who say, we don't ever want to be threatened by Hamas again, right? We don't want them to ever run over across yeah. this border and, and and kill people and slaughter people. We have that happening on our border with fentanyl and with actual, you know, violence and deaths that has been caused by by a number of these individuals as well. We've got um, – what's the number now of of people on the terror watch list? I think it's like 159 yeah. or something like that, right, who have come across the the southern border. The southern border is not, is not secure. And the other countries that we're dealing with, look at all these border issues, right? I mean they wouldn't let people into Egypt from right. the Gaza Strip because they have a border. So they couldn't just cross right. when they wanted to get out. And that had to be negotiated to open up that border. Ours is wide open. Anybody can come across it who wants. And I think it's perfectly reasonable for that to be part of this deal. It should be first. And
3: uh, it would be a blessing for the Democrats. It would be a Hail Mary for them, but not on soft-sided sure. tent facilities, not on MREs and uh, and uh, clothing and doing the laundry and providing states for bailout money because of their I- irrational border. I think it's got to go to ICE. It's got to go to a, faci- a, a smart wall. With technology around it, that's going to be key. I'm going to give you money, Border Patrol. I'm going to give you a raise, but we're going to take other money and build up facilities. No, we're not.
1: Look, we're in an emergency situation here. In the past, there have been times when we completely shut it down. You cannot cross. We're going to let, we're going to figure out what we've got going on in the country already And who we can get track of and who we can process, who has a rightful reason to seek asylum and and get that done. But we're overwhelmed. So you need to shut it down for a period of time, not forever. Deal with what we've got going on here. And then we can figure out when it's safe to start opening it up again.
3: Now everybody wants to know who's going to be on your show because they are tuning into my show to find out what's happening at 3 (laughs) o'clock. You might choose not to tell me anything.
1: You know what? This we're, is your We're working choice. on a, a couple of things for the top of the show, so I don't have that quite nailed down yet, but we're obviously going to be covering um, We have had live hostage releases uh, earlier this week, and we think we may be looking at 10 more people. And, and keep in mind that we may be getting to the point where men are released, and so we we hope that some of these American citizens will be in this group. So we're obviously going to be watching that very closely. And this 10-month-old child, Kafir Bibas, who is being handed around and treated as a pawn is an incredibly heartbreaking story. We're going to talk to, um, to Dron Spielman, uh, Major Dron Spielman of the IDF, about what's going on with that. And also right here in New York is the big Rockefeller Center tree lighting tonight. There's a lot of reports and concerns from the police in New York that they're going to get the kind of protest that we saw at the Thanksgiving parade, which was huge, appalling um, tonight as well. So we're going to be keeping a close eye on that breaking news
3: tonight. Martha's probably going to go with me to Little Point Bookshop. I'll be signing Teddy and Booker T at Point Pleasant. Nice.
1: New Jersey. You like New Jersey? No, it's Point Pleasant. That's not far.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm going to go on Outnumbered at the top of the hour. But first, I want to find out if I indeed need to know more. Let's find out.
2: More to know.
3: Here we go. Education Secretary Cardona. You remember him, Miguel de Cardona? Well, you should. He still has a job. He wanted to quote Ronald Reagan. And to go, Ronald Reagan, he said it this way when he talks about the government. He was saying how great it is that edu- the Department of Education is here to help. Listen.
8: As uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help.
3: Right. The only problem with he was being sarcastic, saying that would never be something you want to hear at the door. That's what Reagan was saying. Smaller government. How could the education secretary of New York not know this? Here's the actual quote.
11: The Nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help.
3: Uh, Unbelievable. As uh, Vivek Ramaswamy said, they're not sending their best, he would said on a podcast. In actuality, the quote from Reagan, which came from a press conference in 1986 and said what he just said, many users on X mocked Cardona and put out that the irony of an education secretary appearing not to understand an historical quote. You could say to something the nature of, you know, Ronald Reagan said something, and I think he's wrong. But instead, you think that you're embracing Reagan's decision. Next, Ryan Reynolds, who's endlessly good-looking, according to every man I know. Ryan Reynolds' Maximum Effort Channel, a channel I didn't know existed, but this guy's a great entrepreneur, has partnered with Nacelle Company and FUBU on a new docuseries discontinued from the makers of the movies that made us. It explores products, phenomena, and phrases that are... Gone, but not forgotten, from blockbuster video to the uh, Boeing 747. Now, let me ask you something, Pete. Did you know that there was a maximum effort channel? And are you sad he stole it, the title for it? I only know about it
4: when the words came out of your mouth. That's how I found out about this.
3: It's a 10-episode series. I'm going to get it. Next, taxpayers in Washington are footing the bill for a $270,000 paint job to refresh the Black Lives Matter Plaza. This is sickening. The, movie to re- the move to repaint the anti-police street, which featured 50-foot yellow letters along two blocks on 16th Street. Outside the White House comes as the district's implementing millions of budget cuts to the Metropolitan Police. Homicides are up 34%, robbery 68%, arson 125%, uh, theft of cars 93%, violent crime 40%. What could they do? They could pay two, two, three salaries Uh, with the money they're using to repaint that plaza. Next, is China's mystery pneumonia sweeping through Europe? The Netherlands seeing alarming surge in similar illness among children as they're disinfecting schools again. China's got this problem, a spike in pneumonia cases among children. Uh, They detected in the Netherlands, which shows that China is everywhere in Europe. Look out, Italy. We know how many factories they have there. Uh, They insist, though, China, that the rise is down to a surge in seasonal illness. Uh, and the country faces a first fall winter without COVID-era curbs. They are petrified. People will stop traveling and doing business with them. They should. This is the biggest surprise. Mark Cuban is selling the majority stake of the Dallas Mavericks to Miriam Adelson in a range of 3.5 billion. With the Cuban, uh, with Cuban keeping shares in the team in full control of the process. So I guess he wants, I guess, get some cash to go on vacation. According to the SEC, the Adelson family is selling almost $2 billion in stock in the Las Vegas Sands Corporation to fund the purchase of the majority of the Mavericks. The filing identified, uh, filing identified Miriam Adelson, a medical doctor and widow of Sheldon Adelson and the Miriam Adelson Trust, as sellers. But it doesn't specify a team, league, or location. So congratulations. I find it weird. Mark Cuban is also no longer going to do Shark Tank. He says 15 years is enough. Does this music mean I'm out of time? You're done. You're finished. Really? All right. See you on Outnumbered. I'm going to look totally different. No, I'm actually going to look exactly the same. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. See you tonight in New Jersey. BrianKilmeade.com. We are at the
0: Little Point Bookshop. So don't leave me alone.